Thank you for joining us for this week's message from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. Each week we share thought-provoking and life-changing teachings on topics that are important and relevant to you in your life. We hope that you will be encouraged by our weekly podcast and will tune in regularly. Now let's join the First Christian Church of Great Bend for this week's message. So today we are in week five of our sermon series called Job and the Questions of Suffering. And remember what we're doing in this series is exploring this beautifully strange yet life transforming book of Job in order to wrestle with and try to make sense of suffering, which is one of those existential questions we all long to know, right? So before we jump in today, how many of you have enjoyed this sermon series? Anybody? How many of you, this sermon series has disturbed you a bit? Yes, good. Well, that's kind of what the book of Job is supposed to do. It it's, it's, causes you to wrestle with this question we all have. So where we left off last week is that after Job defends himself to his friends over and over and over again, who continue to tell him that his suffering is his own fault because everyone always gets what they deserve, we found that Job, instead of wasting even more time arguing with his friends going back and forth because that's getting him nowhere, actually decides to take his case directly to God. Or Job decides he's going to question God for everything that has happened to him. Which, by the way, is not just something that Job does once, like slips or something like that. No, it's something he does in a couple different places throughout the book. And really, during these time of questioning, he doesn't hold anything back. He lets it all go. That is, until we get to chapter 38, where God, after listening to Job, call him out over and over again, makes an appearance to challenge Job in this way. So Job 38.1, this is the way it starts. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Or the creator of the universe, God himself, shows up, but not in the form of a person or a burning bush or a messenger, right? We, we can handle that. No, he shows up in the form of a whirlwind. And being someone from Oklahoma, what do I picture when I see a whirlwind? Right? This is not a, you don't want God to show up in the form of a whirlwind. This is serious business here. And what God does when he shows up is not to apologize to Job or really even to answer Job's questions, at least directly. He does answer the question, but not directly. He does this. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man and I will question you and you shall declare to me. Or Job, if you get to question me, right, then I'm going to question you. So you better put your big boy pants on because it's about to get real. That's what gird up your loins means in the ancient world. Put on your big boy pants. He says, where were you when I created the earth? Tell me since you know so much. Who decided on its size? Certainly you know that. Who came up with the measurements, the blueprints and measurements, excuse me. How was its foundation poured and who set the cornerstone while the morning stars sang in chorus and all the angels shouted praise? And who took charge of the ocean when it gushed forth like a baby from the womb? 
oh, wait a minute, that was me. I wrapped it in soft clouds and tucked it in safely at night. Then I made a playpen for it, a strong playpen so it couldn't run loose and said, stay here. This is your place. Your wild tantrums are confined to this place. Or what God is doing here is he responds to Job. It's he's, again, he's not answering any of the questions. I just want him to answer the questions, and he's not answering the questions. But instead, he's asking a whole bunch of rhetorical questions to put Job in his place. Or in essence, God is asking Job, who in God's name do you think you are questioning me, the all-powerful, almighty, and the creator and sustainer of all things? When the truth is, as a human being, you don't have a clue. Who do you think you are, Job? Or to me? That sounds really familiar. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I have these two girls that like to question me on occasion. And this is usually what I say. Who do you think you are questioning me, your father? You know, the one who created and sustained you, or at least I played my part in that. You have no idea what I have done and continue to do for you. How is it that you have the audacity to question me? You're 11 years old. Or even worse than that, you're five years old. <laughs> Which are the kind of questions, by the way, that God continues to berate Job with from without of the world, whirlwind until finally, at the beginning of chapter 40, God demands that Job responds. He says, now what do you have to say for yourself? Are you going to haul me, the mighty one, into court and press charges? Or now that I have questioned you, what do you have to say for yourself, Job? Come on, big boy. You're the one who's been talking all this. Come on. What do you got to say for yourself? <laughs> and this is all Job can get out. I am speechless in all. Words fail me. I should have never opened my mouth. I've talked too much, way too much. I'm ready to shut up and listen. <laughs> You can't blame him. He's talking out of a whirlwind. This is, this is a huge deal. Or basically now that Job has encountered God face to face, he has decided that he might just gone a bit overboard when it comes to calling God out. Or what I picture is Job curled up in a fetal position with his hands over his eyes, just fearing for his life. Because what else would you do if God shows up in that way? But even after Job declares he has nothing more to say, God just keeps going. I have some more questions for you, and I want straight answers. Do you presume to tell me that what I'm doing is wrong? Are you calling me a sinner so you can be a saint? Do you have an arm like my arm? Can you shout thunder the way I can? Go ahead, show your stuff. Let's see what you're really made of or what you can do. Which again are questions that God continues to berate Job with to put him in this place for the next two chapters until finally... After Job has had enough, God allows Job to respond again. And this is what Job has to say. I am convinced you can do anything and everything. Nothing and no one can upset your plans. You ask, who is this muddying the water, ignorantly confusing the issue, second-guessing my purposes? I admit it. I'm the one. I babbled on about things far beyond me, made small talk about wonders way over my head. You told me, listen and let me do the talking. Let me ask the questions and you give the answers. I admit, I'm the one with li that lived by rumors of you. Now though, now I have it all firsthand from my own eyes and ears. I'm sorry 
forgive me. I'll never do that again. Or it seems that Job, after having this firsthand encounter with the creator of the universe from out of the whirlwind, has decided that even though he never gets his questions answered, that God showing up is actually enough. Or is the answer he needed when he didn't even know he needed it? How profound is that, right? Now, at this point in the story, it sure seems like after what God just did to Job, that Job is the one who has gotten it wrong, right? That Job is the one who has spoken too much, that Job has gone out of his way and he's gotten in trouble with God. And so that's why God is questioning him over and over and over again. But when you keep reading, what you will find is that that was just the setup for the amazing twist that happens at the end of this parable. Or what you need to know about the book of Job is that like all parables, it comes with the twist ending. Or similar to the twist that happens at the end of the movie, The Sixth Sense. How many of you guys have seen The Sixth Sense? Two people? Good Lord. There you go. Get your hands up. Well, spoiler alert, you learn that Bruce Willis was dead the whole entire time. And what that means when you find that out is you have to go back and watch that entire movie again and you see it in a completely different light. Well, that's what's going on in the book of Job. And this is the twist. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, so after he questions Job, then the Lord said to Eliphaz the Tiamite, and remember this is one of Job's friends, my wrath is kindled against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. <gasps> what did it say? Did you get, can you guys read? Can you guys read? For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So what do you make of all that? So basically what's going on here is that Job got questioned and kind of put in his place. There's no doubt about that. But when talking to Job's friends... It proclaims that he's the one that got it right. And then the parable concludes by telling us that, that because of Job's unwavering faithfulness, which, by the way, is something he kept in spite of all of his complaining. Remember all the complaining he did in spite of his longing to die. Remember, that's all he wanted was to die or never be born. And in spite of even questioning God, Job is the one who got it. And what God does, because he's the one who got it right, is he goes on to bless Job twice as much as before, where after living this incredibly long and full life, he dies peacefully as a great man at the age of 140. And I'll give you a moment to let all that sink in, right? I love this book. Okay, so now that we have finally made our way through this amazing parable, how I would like to close this sermon series is by pointing out to you what I believe this book has to teach us in regards to where God fits when it comes to suffering. And then what this book has to teach us about what we need most in the midst of our suffering, which I believe are two truths that will change your life forever, or two truths that you need to hold on to for when things get hard. So first of all, 
as we learn from God telling Job's friends that they are wrong, it is clearly not the case that everyone always reaps what they sow or that everyone always gets what they deserve. Hear that. It is not the case that everyone always reaps what they sow. But with that being said, that doesn't mean you never reap what you sow because you will. Treat people, abuse people in selfish ways, drink and drive, cheat on your spouse, you're probably going to reap what you sow. If not the first time, maybe the 10th time. And that's something that you deserve. But that doesn't mean that all bad things happen because you have done something wrong. Now, what that means is that sometimes bad things just happen to good people through no fault of their own. Or ultimately, what this book is proclaiming is that it's way more complicated than the black and white of you reap what you sow. You get what you deserve. It's bigger than that. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Next, when we get to the explanation that God gives on why bad things happen according to Job, what we find is not some logical or theological argument that puts all of it clearly into perspective, right? That's what we all want. That's what we long for. Just tell me. Tell me why. No, instead, what we are given are questions that are, that are meant to put into perspective that as human beings, the truth is, we really don't have the ability to comprehend the complexity of why bad things happen. Which is, what go, which is what's going on when Job is being questioned by God. Think about it, right? So Job continues to question him over and over again. And what's the response he gets? Who were you? Who were you? Well, that is an answer in itself. Basically what he's telling Job is that you can't get it. This is too big for you comprehend. So the answer that the book of Job gives on why suffering happens is that we really don't have the capacity to make sense and understand of the infinite complexity of what it is that God is doing. That's the answer to the question. How many of you are a bit disappointed by that question or that answer? How many of you really want to know why? Me too. I really want to. In fact, I went to theology school and all that kind of stuff to learn why. And it's too big. But what I know in my own personal experience is that when I do sit down and try to make sense of this stuff all, the place that I get to over and over again is, yep, it's too big for me. It's too big for me. But, but, with that being said, even though we'll never be able to understand it completely, the good news in all of this is that having an understanding of why something bad happens is really not what we need in the midst of suffering. That's what we long for. That's what we think we need that'll make it better. No, what we actually need when bad things happen, which is what Job experienced, is God's presence. Or for God to show up in real ways in our life. Because when God shows up, or when we have an encounter with the one who holds all of this in his hand, somehow like Job, we are able to let go of all that has happened and begin to trust that the one who created and sustained all of this is eventually going to make everything right. Come on now. It's not the answer we want. Let's be honest. We want the answers. But it's the answer we need. 
So the, the truth that this parable finally gives us when it comes to how to deal with our own suffering is that figuring out why something happened is not what we need, even though we think that's what we need. No, what we need in the darkest moments of our life is to experience God's presence in the midst of our suffering because like Job experienced, that is enough. That is enough. And from my own personal experience, of being a minister for the last 21 years, I have seen some darkness. I have seen some suffering that should never happen. I have questions. But even though I've experienced all of that, in those places what I find is God's presence. And that is enough. That is enough. For that is the life-transforming wisdom that this beautifully strange yet ancient parable has to teach us about the reality of suffering. And I hope you will hold on to those lessons with everything that you are because suffering is probably going to happen to you again and you are going to need this with everything that you are. Let us pray. Oh, Father, this book, this crazy, wonderful, life-changing book. We've been through ups and downs and in-betweens. It's made us really uncomfortable at places. It's led us, and then we want answers, and we still don't get the answers we're looking for. But yet, somehow, we find that this book really does offer us the truth on suffering. In that, to answer why, that's, that's just not going to solve the problem. To answer why we, we just don't have the ability to do. But what we can have when we face the darkest moments of our lives is that you can show up. Is that you can begin to heal and to help us. And that as we experience you in those places, we begin to understand that even though we'll never get it, we can trust that you are the one who is at work behind the scenes doing everything that needs to be done to help us walk out of the darkness and back into the light. So Lord, help us not just to hear these words today. Help us to embrace these words and live them when we do find ourselves in the midst of the darkness. We ask this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You are invited back next week for another life-changing message from the First Christian Church of Great Bend, Kansas. Please check out our website at www.fccgbk.com. That's fccgbk.com. May you have a blessed week.